Psalm 46, beginning in verse 1, and we read these words. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Amen. Remain standing, please. You should have a responsive reading there in your order of service. It's taken from the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. We're going to read that. One of the things we've noticed about the psalm and even our text is there's a difference between people and the Lord, God's people, and those who are not. And this responsive reading is about the righteous and the wicked. I'll read the bold, and Brother Helwig will lead you in reading the lighter print. We believe that there is a radical and essential difference between the righteous and the wicked. That such only as through faith are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And sanctified by the Spirit of our God and truly righteous in his esteem. While all such as continue in impenitence and unbelief are in his sight wicked and under the curse. And this distinction holds among men both in and after death. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a mighty fortress. Thank you that you are a refuge for us and that there's no need for us to fear as the psalmist has said even when the earth changes and the nations roar father we see i think such uproar now in our world father may the witness of your people be bright among the darkness of the wicked let there be a clear distinction between those who claim your name and those who don't Father, I pray that we will live sanctified lives, that we may be truly righteous. Father, I pray for our nation and our world's leaders. I pray for their salvation. Lord, as I look at leaders, even in our own country, there seems to be no fruit of salvation, no fruit of sanctification in many of them. Father, I pray that somehow through the gospel message, Lord, through preaching or that occurs over the radio or television or internet, somehow, Lord, that these folks would hear the gospel, get saved, and then grow in sanctification. I pray you'll give them wisdom to make decisions that are right because their decisions affect the world, affect us. And Father, even if they refuse to do right, we pray that you'll turn their hearts and your will be brought about anyway. Father, I pray for folks in Afghanistan still. I pray for those who have 
suffered as a result of the hurricane. Father, I pray for the sick that we know, whether it's COVID or whatever it might be, we pray for them. Lord, I pray for true teaching churches wherever they are. And Lord, that you'll bless them with services this week. May your name be glorified and may those there become laborers for your harvest, for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, the first nine to ten verses of Second Peter chapter two, and if you're able to stand with me as we read through this passage, I'd invite you to do so. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version today. I tell you, I do want to start in chapter one at verse nineteen, and we'll read down through two, verse ten. So we have the prophetic word made more sure. To which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words, their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare his angels uh, spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring, self-will. They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Let's again go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. I pray that your spirit will open our eyes that we behold wonderful things from it. Father, help us to see how it applies to our lives. Help us to be encouraged. But Father, even if there's sin in our lives that we need to confess and that this passage points it out or your spirit does as we study, Father, help us be ready and willing to confess that and to repent of it and to have our lives, Lord, right and sanctified and pleasing in your sight. May you be glorified by what we do. And Lord, forgive me of my sins where I'm often tempted to be prideful or arrogant. And Father, may there be no distractions here today as we look at the Word. 
For your glory we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, the book of 2 Peter, I enjoy the book. I like the, the idea behind what Peter has. He seems to be calling believers to spiritual growth, particularly in the first chapter, so that they can handle false teachers that will come uh, at the end of time or until the Lord returns. Chapter 1 closes with this emphasis upon the certainty of the prophetic word. We looked at that in chapter 1, verse 9. We have the prophetic word made more sure or more certain, and you do well to pay attention to it. Like you pay attention to a light and a dark place. Give attention to the word. We talked about the song there a minute ago that one little word will fail the, the devil. It's going to be the word of the Lord that does that. It's not my words, my resistance of the devil, but it's the word of the Lord. The verse 20 and 21 speak about no prophecy is a private interpretation. No prophecy came about by an act of human will, but the Holy Spirit moved men as they spoke the prophecy. So, you know, you can just imagine back in the Old Testament days, that's what he's talking about, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the great prophets, and they were speaking such truth. But at the same time, God had his people speaking truth. According to chapter 2, verse 1, there were false prophets. At the same time he had true prophets, there were false prophets. Also arose from among the people. What's interesting to me, there's a couple of passages in the New Testament. One is in the book of Jude, and in verse 4, Jude speaks about this. He says, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny not only our master uh, and deny our Lord and master Jesus Christ. You know, what's interesting here, Jude says there's going to be people that sneak in from the outside. Paul agreed with that back in the book of Acts as he was leaving the uh, Ephesians. He gives his farewell. And in verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So Paul agrees with Jude that there will be people who will come in from the outside. But Paul says there are also going to be people who come from the inside. He's agreeing with Peter. That's what Peter says. Just as there were false prophets amongst God's people back in that day, there will also be uh, false teachers among you. These false teachers who come along, they, they are among you and they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. You look at this and you think about these people that are, that are there. They're coming alongside of you. And these false prophets arose from among the people just as there also will be false teachers among you. These false teachers who come alongside you They're introducing these secret teachings. They're right beside you. I, I remember having this happen. 
in Sunday school where I sat beside I had sat beside people who would literally say the Bible can say one thing to you and it can say something else to me. That's not the way it is. You cannot have truth and false right there in the same spot. And Peter is warning that that's what's going to happen. That you'll have these outsiders sometimes, but then sometimes you'll have them coming right from the inside and they'll secretly introduce these heresies. Heresies that are right there alongside you and these destructive heresies are their own opinions. And what's interesting is Peter has just said up in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 20, that no scripture is of anyone's private interpretation. The scripture is not of one's private opinion. And yet he says that in the last days what will happen is people will arise from amongst the membership of a church and they'll have their own opinions and they'll promote those right alongside people who are promoting the truth. And some people have bought in and they're okay with that in the sense that they really do believe that, well, you can believe what you want to and I'll believe what I want to. But that, that's, that's impossible. You cannot have that. And Peter's warning of that. These people will come in and they'll introduce these destructive heresies, their false opinions. They even deny the master who bought them. Now you look at that and you think, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about people who are saved and they've lost their salvation? Or, or, or what are we talking about? I, I don't often quote scholars, but I want to quote Simon Kistemacher here. He said this on his commentary of this passage. Although Christ's death was sufficient to redeem the whole world, its efficiency comes to light only in God's chosen people. Were the false teachers here? Were they recipients of God's grace? Well, apparently not, for they repudiated Christ. Now, at one time, these had preferred the name of Christ. They had made, a, made it known that Jesus had bought them. But they eventually rejected Christ, showing they were not redeemed. So these may well be people here who were claiming to have been saved. You know, how many times do people come and join a church? And I point down here, it's like this. So they'll come and they'll take the pastor by the hand. And a person can stand up and say, I'm from, you know, the other side of the country. And I'm joining by statement. And we say, great, we'll accept you. We don't even know if the guy's been saved or not. We don't know about his baptism. We don't know anything about him, but he comes and we, we just accept him. That's how people end up, you know, in the church. He's up with their own false ideas and their false heresies. And they may be folks that say they love the Lord and they tell us they do, but we see as time goes along, they don't. Now, I'm not saying that every person who comes and joins a church like that is in a bad way or is a heretic. But we should take it seriously and look and investigate and think and ask questions and be aware that there are people who claim that they've been saved, but they're really not saved. And they bring about what verse 1 ends with is they bring about a swift destruction upon themselves. That doesn't mean as soon as they commit a sin, boom, there's a, there's a consequence for it. At that moment, there's punishment. What it implies is this, that there's going to be a punishment, and when it comes, it will come suddenly. But it'll come. It might not come right now, but it's coming. These people, these false teachers, well, a second point here would be, in verse 2, many will follow. 
Many will follow their sensuality. That word sensual, it's an outrageous behavior. It's uncontrolled lust. And there'll be many who will follow and comply with the sensuality that these false teachers bring. Is that not happening in churches today? There are churches who would claim to follow Jesus Christ, but they're promoting all kinds of immorality. In fact, pastors themselves are openly living immoral lives. They'll claim it. They'll say it. And many people will follow them. Many people will like what they hear. They'll like that. Oh, I can, I can live an outrageous life. I can do these things that I want to do. And they'll follow false teachers that come from churches. Because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. It'll be blasphemed. We're supposed to be a light that shines in the darkness where people see our good works and it brings glory to our Father in heaven. There are many people that are seeking to seek, you know, live by their own sensual pleasure and to satisfy themselves, not to glorify God. And churches that have the name of Christ, you know, they claim the name of Christ, many, many allow this false teaching to go on in their congregations. You know, Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 7. He said, not everybody who calls me Lord, Lord, is going to get into heaven. But many are going to claim, did we not prophesy in your name and do many wonderful works in your name? There are many who will claim that they've done good things, including prophesy, in the name of Jesus. But Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity or you workers of lawlessness. I've said many times that if you think that your good works will get you into heaven, you really don't know Jesus. Because you don't realize that he is so superior in his righteousness and holiness, and you as a sinful person, you know, to think that you could do anything to make yourself acceptable to God, when you compare yourself to Christ, you really don't know Jesus. These guys here, they're, they're maligning the gospel. They're maligning the truth. They're insulting the gospel with what they do. In verse 3 it says, in their greed, in their lust for more, whether that's more money or, or more liberation or more uh, fleshly desires, whatever it is, in their greed, they will exploit you. Peter's writing to believers. These people are in your church and they will exploit you with their greed, their desire to gain more and more, whatever it is they want. But what Peter notes here, though, is that their judgment from long ago is not idle. You know, you sit here and you wonder, why is there false teaching in churches? Why are, are, are churches growing and, and people teaching things that are clearly against the Scripture? Why is that happening? Why is God not judging that? Well, it's not idle. His judgment is not asleep. It's not delayed. Their destruction is, uh, is not asleep. What he goes on to say is this. There is, a, in verse 4, 
For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, if God was not lenient, if we could look at it. If God was not lenient when they sinned. Now let me, let me cover one thing back in verse 3. They are exploiting with their false words. And I tell you, I, I hear things like, this passage can mean this to you, uh, and it can mean something else to somebody else. That's a false word. It, it's like a counterfeit. Somebody says if God made you the way you are and you are on the inside different than you are you know, physically. I, I'm trying not to say this, but I'm just going to have to say it. If you are a male, but you feel like, well, God has made me really a female, that's a false word. If you hear someone say, well, ladies, it's your body. You have the right to choose what you do with your body. Do you realize that's a false word? You belong to God. God is your creator. And you belong to him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein, belong to God. For us to hear false teaching, we will there's a judgment for that. If God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness, some versions say, put them in chains, reserved for judgment. You know, that, that means there's, there's a date. In, in God's calendar of time, there's a court date where you're going to be before the judge. And that's what he's saying here. It is reserved. It's on the calendar that one day God will, will, will judge. Now, if we had the opportunity to go into chapter 3, we would see where Peter says the reason for any delay is not because God's asleep or because he's incapable of coming back and rendering judgment. It's because don't regard his patience. Don't misunderstand it, Paul says. He's giving you an opportunity to repent of your sin. That's what he's doing when he is delayed. It's an intentional giving you his grace to repent. So if God did not spare, was not leaning on angels, but threw them into the, you know, the pit for judgment. And verse 5, if he did not spare the ancient world, what ancient world are we talking about? We're talking about the world of Noah's day. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a, a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So if God did not spare the ancient world that was full of ungodliness, but he did preserve Noah. And then verse 6, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, do you realize Sodom and Gomorrah is an example? It was burnt to ashes. But it's an example for those thereafter who would think about living ungodly lives. Now you might say, well, Sodom and Gomorrah, that happened a long time ago. So it was probably an example for those people who lived a long time ago. Well, you could say that. 
But what Peter is saying is that it's an example. There is no time limit on the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. It is to wake us up today. Now, the book of Jude, again, mentions this passage in Jude 7. It speaks of the Sodom and Gomorrah event. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities around them, since they in the same way indulged in gross immorality, went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. What Jude is saying is the Old Testament story of Sodom and Gomorrah is not just an example that if you do bad, you'll get punished. It's an example that there is an eternal damnation for people who live ungodly lives. It's an example. And if, here's another example, verse 7, if he rescued righteous Lot, we don't often think of Lot as a righteous person, but Peter says he was righteous. And here's what it, what it was. He was oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. He was tormented. He was oppressed in his mind, his heart. When he saw these people living unprincipled lives, that means they were violating the law for the purposes of fulfilling their own lust. And when he saw that, it tormented him. It bothered him. I wonder if we are bothered by things we see that are of, of, of this sensual nature that, uh, that we see in people. Because in verse 7 where he says sensual conduct is the same word used up in verse 2 when he speaks about this sensuality that many people will follow. I remember back several years ago there was uh, an event that occurred in the United States that involved allowing immoral behavior and for a little while there on television, there were a lot of television commercials that just forced this, just shoved this immorality right down your throat. And it just turned my stomach to see it, knowing that our country was just blatantly uh, promoting things that are opposed to the teaching of Scripture. They still got those commercials on TV. I see them sometimes. I regret to tell you, I'm disappointed, but it doesn't always punch me in the stomach like it did the first time I saw it. You understand what I'm saying? That the more we hear it, the more we see it, the more desensitized maybe we become to it. Righteous Lot saw it day after day, the scripture says. Uh, he, he, just, he saw this uh, in verse uh, 8. For by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, Lot, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. And what Peter is saying here, and if the Lord did not spare the, sin, the, the, the angels when they sinned, if he did not spare the ancient world that was ungodly at the time of Noah, and if he did condemn the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, but at the same time he was able to spare Noah, he, he preserved Noah, and at the same time he rescued Lot, then verse 9 I think is the, to me is, is like a crescendo here of, of what Peter is saying. If all that happened, 
in verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation or from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. Praise God for this. We live in this crazy world where people are just pushing sin and immorality. They're just shoving it down our throats. And many are following the sensuality. There are many churches where they're proclaiming in, in their teaching and preaching it's okay to do immoral things. And that's rampant throughout our country. And it may seem like there's just a few of us with a small group here today compared to maybe some other schools where there might be many, maybe even thousands of people that are learning false teaching. But let me tell you this, though everybody else goes the greedy, sensual way, and it seems like everybody's doing it, and we look at our world and we just see so many people they don't want to have anything to do with Christ. They just want to live their sensual lives. Let me tell you what, there is a judgment day coming. And the Lord knows how to preserve his people and protect those who follow him while at the same time he is punishing those who sin. And that should be an encouragement, I think, to us. We need to wake up to the reality that there are false teachers coming, but already here in many of our churches. Many people are going to follow them. They're going to promote this sensuality, this outrageous behavior. They'll lie. They'll give false teaching in order to fulfill their greeds. And that is going to worry some of our people, you know, we look at the world. I mean, and, and, and it bothers me sometimes. I get worried about it. But know that judgment is coming. It'll come suddenly, but it'll come thoroughly in the Lord's time. We should avoid the errors of following them. Don't follow them. Don't, don't get into that. But instead, follow Christ. And those who claim, you know, to know his will or those who claim his will is irrelevant today. Well, they'll find out. They, they will find out. So what do I do? Do I think, oh yeah, you're going to get yours? I'm going to laugh. I'm going to point fingers when you get yours. We know Jesus said that we ought to pray for those who persecute us. That we ought to even love our enemies. Because, you know, if it was not for the Lord's grace, It'd be false teaching on my lips. It'd be false teaching and it'd be blasphemy coming from me. Even though I love the Lord, if I'm not careful, I'll say things that are false. Not intended to, but it happens. That's why we need to study and be diligent so we can rightly divide the word of truth. Again, many think that they'll get by without consequences. The Lord's not doing anything but he has given you an opportunity to repent of your sins and confess and repent of your sins. We're going to 
have a song to close and day by day is the title of it and I hope that you'll pay attention to the words and think about the truths of the passage here about us and trials and in the world but God taking care of us as well and when the song's over we'll be dismissed